there's something that I could give you and offer to you today that would have tremendous health benefits for your life? And let me list those for you. That I could promise it would reduce the risk of stress for you, that it will lower your blood pressure, that it will help you decrease heart disease in your life, that if you get sick, you will have an increased rate of recovery, and in extreme cases of illness, you will be in a better position to survive. It will help you if you struggle with depression, and if you don't, it will keep you from struggling with depression. And overall, it will improve the sense of happiness and joy in your life. Anybody here interested in something like that? Well, you know what? I'm so glad that you are, because for five easy payment, no, I'm just kidding about that. But I want to talk to you about what that is today. And the truth of the matter is, it's not a pill, it's not something in a bottle, it's friends. As a matter of fact, they've done a ton of studies on relationships and friendships, and those are all benefits of having close friendships in your life. The, Amer the Journal of American Medical Association gave 276 volunteers uh, a virus that produces the common cold. And this is what their study found, that from people with strong emotional connections, they did four times better fighting off the illness than for those who were more isolated. Harvard research studies have shown that if you belong to a group of individuals, you cut the risk of dying over the next year in half versus those who have no relationship and so forms like that. There's tremendous benefits to friendships and to relationships. Uh, and you can think of uh, just common people that we think about. Of, there's just something about being better together. Uh, some, some individuals, some friends that we think of today are Buzz Lightyear and who? Come on, all the parents in the room just said that one, right? So some, many of you, you have no idea what we're talking about. Go watch Toy Story for crying out loud. So uh, maybe for uh, us, our kids were a little bit older, Dora the Explorer and Boots, if you know anything about that. That was kind of the, the duo. Maybe for some of you, Thelma and, oh, all the ladies pipe up now. Isn't that nice? So <clears throat> Forrest Gump and Bubba, if you ever watch that show. And then I was talking to somebody earlier who's a 49ers fan, but for me, I always think of Jerry Rice and Joe Montana, you know, this kind of duo that just did incredible things. And you can go down a list of a multitude of people that you can think of, of the dynamic duo. As a matter of fact, our television programming uh, several years ago came out with a, a sitcom named Seinfeld, a story about four friends. And then later on, shortly after that, there was a, a sitcom called Friends, Producing this environment, almost getting away from the family dynamics and just the relationships in general. And the reality is, songs have been written about friends, right? Thank you for being a friend. Lean on me is all about friendships. Uh, you've got a friend in me if you've watched the Toy Story at all. And then lastly, that's what friends are for, for good times and bad times, whatever that was. You know, the reality is, all of this stuff the symbolism, the importance, the value of having a close friend. And yet, if you think about it in our day and age, we have an environment called Facebook where people call each other friends, and yet I would say we are becoming more isolated than we have ever been. Anybody else would agree with that? Of course, we are. We've, we, but we've got all this false ideas of, oh, I've got close friends, I've got people in my life. And today, I wanna, I wanna take some time to talk to you about the value of genuine friendship and what that really looks like, modeled by a man by the name of David and his close friend, Jonathan. So if you have your Bibles, I wanna encourage you to turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel. We're gonna be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 18 this morning. Uh, if you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, we've decided to go through a series studying the life of a man by the name of David. 
Uh, you may know him as the giant killer, David and Goliath. Even people who aren't in church so circles can typically gravitate towards that story. But we're just two stories in. David initially was chosen by God, and we talked about the type of person that God chooses in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And David had a heart for the Lord. He had a heart for integrity, a heart for character. And God used him in some incredible ways. And that is to say, not to say that David was perfect by any means. David made his fair share. He was human just like the rest of us. Us, but he was described and characterized as a man after God's own heart. And we talked about the value and the importance of what our heart represents. And then last week, we talked about overcoming the giants in our lives. I want to encourage you, if you're not familiar with that story, read through 1 Samuel chapter 17. You can get all the sermons online as well, just to get caught up with where we're at today. But we're going to be looking at this dynamic relationship after David goes out and slays this massive nine and a half foot man who had been taunting the armies of the Israelites for the last. 40 days, he goes out there with simply a sling and a rock and takes the giant down and cuts his head off with his own sword. And then we see this amazing moment take place in 1 Samuel chapter 18 between David and Jonathan. And this is what it says. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing. He gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. And whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it successfully. So much so that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. And this pleased all the people and Saul's officers as well. Would you pray with me? Father, as we just embark here in these next few moments to talk about some practical truths of life, of relationships and friendships. Uh, I pray for some of us here today that maybe are walking in feeling like we don't really have a whole lot of people in our life, that something would trigger today, that we would be a part of building and investing in friendships that would revolutionize our lives. For others of us, maybe today is a day of thanksgiving for the friends that we have and maybe for a few of us, the realization that we could be better friends to others. So God, whatever that may look like today for each and every one as we come into this place, would you speak in a way that only you can and that we would walk away changed and different people because, because we've met with the living God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This tremendous story, and I know, I know you're all excited today because you're thinking five verses, we'll be through this really quick. Don't kid yourself. So the reality is I want to jump back just a couple of pages. So if you're in 1 Samuel chapter 18, what I'd like you to do is go back to 1 Samuel chapter 14 because there's something we need to understand first as to how did this relationship between David and Jonathan all of a sudden just form? It seems kind of so strange that Jonathan would just walk on the scene, David is there, and then all of a sudden he's like, well, I feel one in spirit with him. But there's some things in the scriptures that we have to know first. And I would encourage you, whenever you read the Bible, don't just read the Bible and the verses that you're looking at. Jump back a little bit. Get the context of the story. Jonathan is the son of King Saul. Saul is the first king that has been elected to the Israelite role of kingship there. Uh, the people wanted that. God was telling them, I want to be your king through the prophet Samuel. But they demanded, we want a king. And Saul was elected. He was put into that position. And unfortunately, he failed as a king. And so God was looking for a new king and found David, a man after his own own heart. But in Saul's kingship, he was in a battle with the Philistines consistently. 
And then we find that Jonathan is the son of King Saul. And this is the story that I, I want to touch base with to give you a perspective of what created this dynamic relationship between David and Jonathan. It says this in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 1. One day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his dad. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron, and with him were about 600 men. So let me set the stage for you real quick. Saul and the Israelites are tired of being uh, just abused by the Philistines, and they are ready to go into battle. And Saul amasses his army, and he thinks, we're ready to go. But when his army comes and sees how great and powerful the Philistines are, they tremble with fear. As a matter of fact, most of them, except for 600 guys, run away, and it says they hide in caves and in all sorts of different locations. They are trying to flee to save their lives. Saul is left with 600 men to go against this Philistine army. And what are they doing? They're sitting under a pomegranate tree. Pomegranates are nasty. Don't you agree with me, anybody here? They're just nasty things. You give them to the kids, and they're all over the ground, and bread is everywhere. They're just disgusting, and the Bible, the Bible speaks of that being terrible. So don't, no, I'm just kidding about that. Don't buy pomegranates. But here they are. They're sitting 600 of them and Saul underneath this pomegranate tree doing nothing. And Saul's son, Jonathan, says, hey, let's go start something. And I need to tell you this, because you may not know it. Out of all the men in the army, two of them had swords, only two, Saul and his son Jonathan. The rest of the army had field-working equipment, picks, axe, things along those lines to try to go into battle with. The Philistines had prevented them from getting armor and, uh, and weaponry to be used in battle. Jonathan says to his shield bearer, and if you look at this in verse 6, he says, Come, let's go to the outposts of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Did you catch that? Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Jonathan is a man of tremendous faith in God. Look what he says next. He says, Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by a few. So you got to picture the scene. Here is Jonathan. He's the son of the king. He's in this army. They're all standing there, and finally Jonathan has had enough, and he says, I can't do this anymore. Shield bearer, why don't we go over here? Because perhaps, maybe, God would give us a victory. And I love the faith of Jonathan. It doesn't say that the Lord told Jonathan, go and start a battle. It doesn't say that he said, go out there and, and make something happen. Jonathan says, perhaps God will do this, but here's where my faith lies. God can save with a few or with many. He is an all-powerful God. And look at what his shield bearer says. Do all that you have in mind. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. I mean, right there is a lesson in friendship, of loyalty, of commitment, of willing to go through the hard times. Because guess what the shield bearer didn't have? He didn't have a sword. He's going to follow Jonathan into battle without a weapon of choice. Jonathan said, okay, come then. We will cross over toward the men and let them see us. And if they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we'll stay where we are and not go up. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, 
The Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we will teach you a lesson. (laughs) I think that's funny. Come on up here, we're gonna show you something. Okay, so Jonathan says to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. And I can almost imagine as he puts the, sh- the sword in the, in the holder and then they're just crawling up the side of this mountain trying to get up to the top and the shield bearer, let's get them, Jonathan. And then they get to the top. And this is what it says. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and his feet with his armor bearer right behind him. And the Philistines fell before Jonathan. And his armor bearer followed and killed behind them. And in that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about a half a mile. An incredible story, right, of faith. These two guys, hey, come on up here. We'll teach you boys a lesson. All right, we'll be right up. And they go climbing up there. And all of a sudden, Jonathan, and we don't know the details, but he starts fighting these guys. And guys are falling. And it says that the shield bearer is coming behind and kind of finishing the job, if you will. How many of you would say that Jonathan's a man of faith in God? I would. I would, I would bring kudos to the shield bearer who says, I've, I've got a loyalty to, to this man that I'm gonna follow and I'm gonna go with him no matter if it costs me my life. I mean, just incredible stories. But, but let me fast forward for just a moment because in the story that we read last week of J- David and a giant killer, if you remember, there's a man named Goliath who every day is coming out taunting the Israelite army. And he's telling him, bring a man. Let him come down here and fight me. I know I'm over nine and a half feet tall, Go ahead, send somebody, your best guy. And do you realize who was on the other side? Saul was there. All of the Israelite army was there. And Saul's son, Jonathan, was there. And he didn't step forward and do anything. And then little David comes on the scene with some cheese and some bread, and he's like, hey, what's going on? And this giant's out there. He's all, don't worry. Don't lose heart on him. I'll go out and fight him. You can't fight him. You're a little boy. He's a grown man. He's been killing people from his youth. Just let me go out there. And he takes a staff and a sling and five smooth stones and says, big man, you're going down. Whips it around. Boom. Nails him in the head. Goes over there. Chops Goliath's head off. And then this is where we catch ourselves in uh, 1 Samuel 17. It says this, as soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul. And with David still holding the Philistine's head. Oh, I think that that is a classic moment. He's just walking around with this thing. He's got this big, ugly mug he's hanging on to. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. David said, I am the son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem. And did you catch this in verse one? After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. You want to know why I believe that happened? Because I believe Jonathan said, I trust in the Lord and I'll follow him wherever. And I'm pretty crazy. But David, you're insane, man. (laughs) Something's wrong upstairs and I, I love it. I'll follow that. Because it was a man who had more faith than Jonathan had. And if you're taking notes, I want to just share with you five attributes that I believe we can find out of a great friendship here in this passage. The first one is this, great friends share a common faith. Would you just say that with me? Great friends share a common faith. 
Jonathan was a man who believed God to do incredibly powerful things in his life. He said, perhaps God will give us a victory today. Perhaps I'll go over there with my shield bearer and we'll take down some Philistines. And God showed up in a miraculous way. And David would take a step that Jonathan wouldn't even have taken. And he walked down and he fought a giant. And Jonathan said, man, that inspires me. Do you have somebody in your life today that you, sh you share a common faith with? That their relationship with God inspires you? That you go, man, that makes me want to trust God more. That makes me want to get involved in ministry more. That makes me want to take leaps of faith more. It makes me want to grow in my relationship with God more. That's a person that inspires my growth in God. And secondly, are you a person that does that for somebody else? That they look at you and go, man, that individual inspires me to be greater than what I would be by myself. Jonathan saw in David a faith in God that he said, I admire that. It inspires me and it empowers me. And I believe this wholeheartedly, and I'm not saying we can't have great friendships and relationships with people that don't share the Christian faith, but I'm gonna, I say this wholeheartedly. I believe God has destined us to have our greatest relationship be with those who share a faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Because there's something that happens, there's something that moves us when two people come together as followers of Jesus and we inspire one another. Great friends share a common faith. The second thing is this. Great friends genuinely love one another. Great friends genuinely love each other. In verse 1, again, it says, After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. It wasn't just this idea of, oh, man, that's an inspiring guy. But it's a moment of, I, I love that guy. Matter of fact, I'd be willing to risk my life for that guy. And that took time to build. That relationship didn't just happen in a second like that. But as they spent more time together, that love for one another continued to grow. And as Proverbs 17, 17 says, it says this, a friend loves at what time? At all times. And a brother is born for adversity. David was going to go through some very difficult seasons, and I believe it is no, by no accident that God brought a Jonathan into David's life for such a time as this. We're going to talk in the next couple of weeks of the trials that David went through. We're going to talk a little bit about that in, in, in just a moment. But David went through some incredibly difficult times, and you don't have to raise your hands, but it's a self-answering self question. How many of you appreciate having good people in your life when you're going through the challenges that life seems to bring at you? Of course you do. Because it's a benefit. There's a story of a, a young high school student. He had uh, been feeling ill and sick, and he continued to go to the doctor. And about the third or fourth visit, the doctors finally figured out what was going on. And they said, uh, we've got some bad news for you. You have, you have cancer. The good news is we have some treatments for that, but um, we're going to have to pull you out of school. Uh, you're not going to feel well. We're going to have to go through chemotherapy, some radiation treatments, and things along those lines. And it's going to be a difficult season, but we just want to affirm that this is a treatable, treatable cancer that you have. And so they pulled the young boy out of school, and for about six to eight weeks, he went through the treatment. They came back afterwards, and the doctor gave him clearance, said, you know what? You're taken care of. You're good to go. You can get back to school and back with your friends. But in, during the process, he had lost all of his hair. So on the drive home, he was pretty quiet, and his mother asked him, what, what's the matter? Aren't you excited to get back to school, back to your friends, back to hanging out with everybody? And he said, Mom, I don't want to go back to school. Look at me. I look entirely different. 
I feel embarrassed. She said, well, maybe we can get you some like wig or toupee or something like that. He said, no, we're not going to do that. Why don't you just wear a hat? He said, they'll still know. So as they drove up to the house, pulled in, he was extremely discouraged and frustrated and didn't know what he wanted to do next. And as they walked into the house, they opened the door and his mom had set this up. They turned on the lights and 70 of his friends are sitting there and they're surprised, excited about him getting a clean bill of health. And the amazing thing was all of his friends who were boys had shaved off all of their hair because genuine friends love each other. They go the extra mile for one another. They care for one another. There's somebody in your life like that today. Somebody that you would say, I love them like I love myself. I care about them like I would care about myself. And do you have somebody like that in your life that loves you like they love themselves, care about you? That's what true friends do. In chapter 19, verses 1 through 3, the story continues a little bit. And like I said, we'll get there more next week. But Saul, after David goes and kills this giant, He's extremely jealous of David. David is getting all the praise and all the accolades. He is, he is God's man for the hour, and Saul doesn't like all the attention that David's getting. And so the Bible says this in verse 1 through 3 of chapter 19. Saul and his jealousy told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. How would you like that? Your dad is telling you, go kill David. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David, and he warned him. My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning and go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and I'll tell you what I find out. Jonathan is in a position where he cares for David so much that he's like, my dad's crazy. I'm gonna protect you. I'm gonna speak on your behalf because I care about you. Genuine friends, great friends, genuinely love one another. Number three, great friends are committed to one another. Would you just say that with me? Great friends are committed to one another. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. This idea of a covenant comes with that idea of commitment or in our day, probably a better word would, that, that correlates to that is a promise. Now, I know we are in a day and age where promises don't seem to mean anything any longer, but back then, and what they should be is a promise should be a promise. It should be something that's kept, a commitment that is forever. Jonathan made this covenant with David because he loved him. I remember years ago, I had a good buddy, and his name was Richard, and <clears throat> Richard and I spent a lot of time with one another, and uh, on one particular occasion, we were at his house, and we loved building forts and setting some stuff up, and <laughs> you probably didn't do this, but Richard was a little crazy, and uh, we would go out, I know this sounds terrible, shooting birds with pellet guns, but uh, he did it all, and I didn't do any of that, <laughs> no, but we would go out and do that, and one day we're sitting there with these pellet guns, and all of a sudden he looks and he goes, hey, I wonder what would happen if I shot my leg, and he goes, Ting! and he shoots his leg, and he starts bleeding, he's all, you tried, I was like, no thanks, buddy, uh, I'm the smarter of the two here, but he was bleeding, as he's bleeding, you know what he says to me? He says, you know what we should do? We should become blood brothers, right? And maybe you did this with somebody. And so I took a knife and I, no, I found an old scab and I kind of picked that a little bit and we rubbed our blood together to say, this is symbolic that we are blood brothers for life. I don't recommend doing that in today's day and age, but the whole idea was that was supposed to mean something. And true friends are committed to one another. Through times of adversity and times of hardship, 
And throughout David and Jonathan's life, when David's going through some rough goes, Jonathan continues to affirm his commitment to him. They made commitments to each other about watching over their kids even. They were committed to one another. And I just wonder if maybe for some of us today, as a friend, how committed are you to your relationships? Is it when everything's going great? Hey, it's fine and dandy, but if they go through a hard time, I don't know if I want to get involved. And I just wonder if maybe you have a friend in your life today that can use you, use you getting involved a little bit more. Not being pushy, but just to be there to be a comfort because you're committed to them. Because I know the truth of the matter is, for all of us, we want people who are committed to us, who are loyal to us, who would see us through thick and thin. Would we be that to our friends? Number four, great friends are generous. Could you say that with me? Great friends are generous. They're giving. In verses, verse four of chapter 18, Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing. He gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. Now, the only reason that this makes, can make more sense is he, he's giving him, David was just a shepherd. He's coming in with a staff and, and a sling, and now he's becoming a warrior. Jonathan says, hey, I'll give you what I've got. And as a matter of fact, many scholars believe that him taking off that robe was a symbolic act of realizing, I'm not the next in line to be the king, although I'm the king's son. David, I can see right now that God's hand is upon your life. God's going to use you to do some incredible things. And I want to be a, a giver towards you. Great friends are generous. I know I've shared this story multitudes of times, but it just seems to be so impactful. So if you've heard it before, just smile and act like it's new. And if you're new here today, hey, this is free for the price of admission. So uh, enjoy. But there's an old story about a, a guy who just moved into a neighborhood and he's working up on a rooftop. And as he's working on his rooftop, he's losing his temper and losing his cool because he doesn't have the right tools to get the job done of what he's trying to get accomplished. And one of the guys who had been in the neighborhood a long time kind of walked over and saw him up there and yelled out, hey, you doing okay up there? And the guy's like, I'm, I'm fine. And it doesn't look like you're doing all right. You need anything? Oh, I just don't have the right tools. And he's like, I'm trying to do this. And so they start to converse. And the, the guy who's been living there for a long time says, hey, I'll be right back. Meet me down in by your garage. So he goes back and he grabs all these tools, just to, anything that the guy needs. And he kind of brings them back over and he lays them all out. He says, would any of these work? And the guy looks at him and goes, my goodness, look at all these tools. And then he finally looks at the guy. He says, what do you make with all of these tools? And the guy looked back at him and he said, mostly just friends. And the truth is God has given you resources in life to be generous, to impact people's lives. Maybe it's tools. Maybe you're a guy who's got a lot of tools. Use them to make friends. Maybe it's equipment. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's a resource in your life. Maybe it's an understanding of things that somebody else doesn't have that you helping them and navigating through that process could be a tremendous thing in their life. And who knows? You might just make one of the closest friends of your life by just being generous. How many of you want people to be generous to you? Of course, we all do. Give that back and reciprocate it. And lastly, and we'll close with this, great friends strengthen each other. Would you just say that with me? Great friends strengthen each other. They strengthen each other. They make each other better than what they would be by themselves. In their low points, they build one another up. They provide encouragement. 
Saul, in, in these next few chapters that we're going to look at next week, goes crazy. He not only wants people to kill Saul, he sends out teams of thousands of guys to hunt David down like a wild animal. And David is fleeing and he is running for his life. And on one particular occasion as David is fleeing from Saul, Jonathan gets word of where he's at. And this is what it says in 1 Samuel 23. While David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out again to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and he helped him find strength in the Lord. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. And the two of them made a what? Another covenant before the Lord. Jonathan and David's probably one of his lowest moments of fleeing from a kid, king going, what on earth did I do and why is this king chasing me down and wanting to kill me? His son, Jonathan, Saul's son, comes and says, hey, I'm gonna help you find strength in God. And I'm gonna tell you something important. God's with you. You're gonna be the king. Be encouraged. Man, Jonathan is such an encourager and a lifter of David's spirit, his mind, his heart, his relationship with God. There's a story in Daniel that many of you probably know. It's about three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three guys stand before a king. It's not a, a king that worships God. And this king builds an idol, and he says to everybody in the land, hey, when the music plays, you better bow down and worship this idol. Well, these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, say, no way, we're not going to do it. The king finds out that they're not worshiping, and he says, hey, fellas, I'm hearing some rumors that you guys are not bowing down when all the music is playing. You're not worshiping this idol that I have made, and if you choose not to do that, that's fine. I'm going to toss you in a fiery furnace. I'm going to kill you all, but I'd encourage you, just bow down. Worship it just like everybody else. And they turn to the king and they say, hey, king, this is the deal. We're not going to bow down to your idol. And you may throw us in the fire, but we believe in a God who could prevent that from happening, that we will still live. But even if he doesn't, we refuse to bow down. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty powerful moment that you know your life is on the line. And I would imagine, at least for me, maybe in a, in a moment of weakness, that I might be like, hey, guys, we can bow down, but we don't really have to. We're, we'll just pretend. We don't have, you know, and, and then, then we won't get tossed in the fire and, and we'll still be alive and we can still do all the things that God's called us to do. What do you think about that? And I wonder if maybe that happened to one of them. And the strength of the other two said, hey, there's no way we're doing that, Shadrach. We're gonna stand firm and, oh yeah. I'm gonna stand firm too. I don't know what I was thinking. Because we all need people in our lives that can offer us strength in difficult seasons. And I don't know what you may be going through today, but I can tell you this, if you're going through it alone without a friend, that's a lonely place, and lonely is a lonely word in the dictionary. That God has created us and destined us to have relationships with others, that we'd find encouragement and we'd be strengthened. So I ask you this question today. One, do you have a friend like that in your life that empowers you and strengthens you? And two, are you that way for somebody else? And as Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens, encourages, builds, strengthens each other. We need each other. It's been said that friendships aren't found, they're built. And I think that's true.
I think for some of us, we just, I haven't found the right friend. And I might say, well, have you invested, invested in building that type of a relationship? As a matter of fact, it's really interesting that if you look at Jonathan's life with David, it says Jonathan loved him as himself. Jonathan made a covenant with him. Jonathan gave all these things. Jonathan went and strengthened him in the Lord. Jonathan made that initial investment to say, I'm going to befriend you. As a matter of fact, what's also interesting is many scholars would say that David in this time is roughly about uh, probably 17, 18 in the late teen years of his life. Jonathan, which we would tend to think would be about the same age, most believe he was probably in his early 30s at this time. This is a relationship that Jonathan is investing in a young man to say, hey, I care about you. You inspire me. You make me better. And I'm going to invest there. I wonder for some of us, if we're honest, maybe today is a day of investing in some people's lives. We want a relationship, but we're like, we don't have any friends, and maybe that's because we haven't taken the time to build them, to really say, you know what, I got a day off instead of going fishing by myself. I'll invite somebody to go with me, reach out with a phone call, whatever that may be. I have no idea. I know in my life, I'm looking at that right now going, Lord, I need to do a better job of investing in people and seeking to build deep and meaningful and lasting relationships. Maybe for you, you're here today and you say, Brian, I've got some great friends, some genuine friends that, man, they inspire me. We have a common faith. They are generous towards me and I'm generous towards them. We strengthen one another and it is amazing. We're committed to each other. We genuinely love each other. And if that's the case and that's where you're at today, man, celebrate that. And one, thank God for that because that's a rarity in our day and age. And two, Maybe thank your friend today. Maybe send him a, a text message. Just say, man, thanks. We talked about friendship at church and message was bad, but uh, the whole thing was really good. And I just want to say thank you. You're an awesome friend. Maybe it's a Facebook like. You like something on there. I don't know. Whatever you want to do. So but tell them. Tell them how much they mean to you. And then maybe let me ask you this. Maybe is there somebody in your life that needs a friend today? Somebody that you know right now needs somebody of commitment, of generosity, somebody that could strengthen them. Would you invest in that? Would you say, God, help me to be the friend that Jonathan was to David in his times of need, I, that I would be there. In her times of struggle, that I would be there. And maybe for some of us, maybe you're a high school student, maybe you're in college, maybe you're adults. Maybe today is a day of really evaluating your friendships and going, are these the most beneficial relationships in my life? Because for some of us, the truth of the matter is there's an old saying of, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. There's truth to that. Birds of a feather flock together. And are you investing in people that are making you better, that are encouraging you and strengthening you? And lastly, maybe the truth of the matter is you need the greatest friend of all in your life. And his name is Jesus Christ. That just as we sang about that final song that we can have forgiveness of sin, that God came to say, you are very far from me, all of humanity, each and every one of us. We have sinned and that sin separates us from God. The Bible clearly communicates that. All of us in our sinful selves have a broken relationship with God. And God said, you can't fix that problem, so I'm gonna take the step to do it. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who came to earth, lived a perfect life, hung on a tree on a cross and made the sacrifice for your sins and mine that if we put our faith in, in Jesus as our Lord and Savior 
and believe that he has died for our sins, we have a renewed relationship with a God who loves you more than you will ever know. And he wants to be your friend, and not just your friend, he wants to be your father and call you son and daughter. And maybe that's where you stand today. But that's the greatest relationship that you need this morning. So I ask you this, who are my close friends? And how can I be a great friend? Maybe how can I develop a friend? Or maybe today is entering into that friendship with, with Jesus Christ himself. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? God, I thank you for sometimes just the practical truth of your word. I thank you for these two guys who supported one another through difficult times. A man that you put into David's life, probably not the one that anybody would anticipate, the son of the king, who had every right to be the next in line and yet laid that down for David. I pray that we would be generous like that, that we would be loving like that towards others. I pray, God, that for us as, that call ourselves friends of other people, that we would share that, God, we would be inspiring to people in our relationship with you, that we would strengthen others. And God, I pray for those of us here today that maybe if we're honest, we just don't have those types of friends right now, that you would help us to invest wisely and build into relationships like that, that in our times of need, that we would have the strength and the support that we desire, but we'd also be giving that away. So help it not just to be a wishful thought, but something that we invest our lives into because it's important. God, for some of us here who maybe have to evaluate if the relationships that we have are really promoting what we want in life, what you want for our lives. And maybe there'd be a change. And God, maybe there's some of us here today that more than anything else, we just need a relationship with you. And if you're here right now and you say, you just know in your heart, you, you desire a relationship with God and you're not sure that you've got it, I want to encourage you that you can say a prayer this morning that get that relationship started. I'd encourage you to pray something like this maybe in your heart. God, I want a relationship with you. And I've been running for far too long. I know I've, I've sinned. And Jesus, you came to die for those sins. So today, I believe you can forgive me. I believe you died for me. I ask you to come into my life and be my Savior. Would you give me a brand new start? Thank you for wanting a relationship with me. And I can say I'm a friend of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.